Hello and welcome to Socialism, the weekly Marxist podcast from the Socialist Party. World capitalism in recent decades underwent a process often called globalisation. Competing national economies became more and more integrated and dependent on each other. Now the wheels have come off. Trade wars, political disputes, even rumblings of armed conflict. Already happening, but exacerbated by the coronavirus pandemic, have marked a process of deglobalization. What is behind these two epoch-defining waves of change? Why are both responsible for worsening conditions for workers, young people and the poor? And is there a way to achieve global economic and political harmony? This episode of Socialism looks at high and low tides for world capitalism, globalization and deglobalization. So we're here today with the Secretary of the Committee for a Workers International, Tony Seinwall. Hello, Tony. Good afternoon, James. So the first question we're going to ask this episode, for those of us who maybe weren't politically conscious at the time or are a bit newer on the scene, what was globalisation? Well, it has developed historically under capitalism in different phases. You had it before the First World War. There was a tendency towards globalisation in quite a strong and pronounced manner then. But after the collapse of the former Stalinist states in 1989, 91, 92, what in essence took place with the collapse of that alternative social system, we saw the whole integration of the world economy reaching quite unprecedented degrees. It resulted in the coming down of trade barriers. International trade arrangements were established and fully developed. There was a whole integration of the world economy. It allowed the development of trade agreements such as NAFTA. It facilitated the introduction of the euro. We saw the question of the European Union becoming more and more integrated to the point where some people posed the issue that maybe it would go so far that the nation states will be abolished and we see, at least at the European level, the integration of all of the EU countries into one single European country. Now, that idea, the CWI always argued against, because although this development of the integration of the world economy had taken place and reached quite unprecedented levels, and it went a long way, we wouldn't deny that, it had its limits, and it never overcame fully the limitations imposed by the nation-state, which is a system upon which capitalism fundamentally rests. So the integration went a long way. There was a major change in the situation globally because China became a part of that process in the 1990s, opened up its markets to some extent, to a large extent, and also became a crucial base of the supply chain to America and to the European economy then. So that's what happened really throughout the 1990s and into the first decade or so of this century as well. So this was a process of things like taxes on imports being removed, quotas on imports and exports being removed so that competing nation states could sell into each other's economies and things like supply chains, production processes could happen across borders more and more and more. Absolutely. And there was also the movement of labour. That became another issue. You saw a tendency from some of the Western imperialist countries to relocate production into countries where they could do it with cheap labour and then just export the goods out of those countries where they produced it. And it was a bringing down of tariffs and a tremendous integration of all aspects of the world economy both in terms of manufacturing production and especially in terms of the financial markets and the financial system as well. 
And there were protest movements during this process as well, weren't there? Because it sounds like that might be quite a good thing for economies, but there were winners and losers. There were, and particularly you saw in the neo-colonial world, that became a major issue because you had, for example, in the Americas, a NAFTA agreement, which was agreed and everybody signed up to, but it was catastrophic in terms of the effects it had on the economies of Mexico, for example, and other Latin American countries. It resulted in the driving down of living standards still further and partly had a disastrous effect on the economies of those countries in general. So coming along with this global integration of the economies, because it was on a capitalist basis, was an opportunity for the big imperialist capitalist powers, the big wealthy economies, to rip off even more the poorer economies of the world and also their own working classes. Fundamentally, that's what took place. And then you saw in some countries, well, there was a development of manufacturing industry, particularly in China and some of the Asian countries. You still saw, for example, in Latin America, those countries became entirely dependent through a process of deindustrialization on the commodities and the export of commodities. And through that, they became absolutely in hook to the Western imperialist powers. So why do we talk now about deglobalisation? Well, this is a crucial question, which has accelerated since the onset of the COVID crisis, because fundamentally what we've seen is this process going into reverse. The process of globalisation tended to go further in a period of capitalist upswing, or at least when there was a certain amount of sustainable growth taking place within the capitalist economy. Once that period had come to an end, you saw the process going into reverse as the national interest of the different capitalist class asserted itself and they came to the fore as the global economy slowed down and even went into recession. And that has been now further compounded by the devastating collapse which has taken place in the economy during the COVID crisis, all of which was in March in terms of prior to the onset of the COVID crisis itself. All of the conditions for a dramatic downturn in the world economy and the new recession were posed before, but COVID has been a great accelerator on everything and it has tremendously accelerated this process. And it's also then being given a further fillip by another important factor that we see in the world situation. That is the decline of US imperialism relatively. It's still the most important and most powerful of the Western powers. But nevertheless, it's been in the process of historic decline. That's been on the one side, and it's been mirrored by the tremendous rise of China. And this has led to a major conflict taking place between the US and China as they fight for their own particular interests And that has reinforced the tendency towards deglobalizing process in the economy that we've now seen. And that's reflected in the trade wars and other conflicts which are developing between the US and China. And you can hear more about the specific situation in the US and in China, the one in the ascendant, the other declining in the opposite order, of course, in previous podcasts on US imperialism in decline and on China's new role. So that's episode 66, US imperialism in decline, and episode 70, China's new role. So in this situation where world society is in a crisis because of this killer pandemic and the world economy is in crisis, not just because of the pandemic, because of underlying weaknesses which have now come to the surface in a global economic crisis. Globalisation has, to an extent, gone into reverse. But I think a lot of people would ask, why are the capitalist classes of different countries doing this? The trade wars we've seen between the US and China, for example, seem to have actually made things worse for capitalism. But it has made things worse from the general point of view, but they're caught in a dilemma. 
because the conflicts which have arisen, the process of deglobalization, is a reflection of how, in the process of recession, each national capitalist class has acted to defend its interests. And that means, in the case of the US in particular, they've been threatened by China's rise. So to try and head that off, they've been in a position of increasing tariffs, which have gone up tremendously in the course of the last few years in any case. Mm. And now Trump has tremendously accelerated the position. And it's a reflection of the fact that each capitalist class in their own country is taking the measures that it regards as necessary to protect its own particular national interests. Now, within the capitalist class in these countries, you can get divisions opened up. It's not a uniform position. It will be supported by all sections of the capitalist class because there's obviously different sectors have their own particular interests and there's big contradiction in it. But this is a process which is being driven. And in particular, what you now have is the process of decoupling which is taking place between the US and China. And the US has been pushed back so much they're really left with little alternative but to take some of these messages. They've been driven back politically, they've been driven back economically, and that's why the trade tariffs are there. But even in terms of their world power, they're losing out. There's a major shift which is taking place. It's even reflected in the United Nations, for example. If you take what has taken place in the recent period, you've had in the United Nations the 15 specialist units set up by the UN Four of them are headed by China now, and that was unthinkable <laughs> beforehand. So it's a measure of how far the US has been pushed back because they're losing out. And this reflects another tendency which is beginning to emerge as part of the deglobalization, the emergence of two poles. You may get a third or even more poles of two different camps globally are beginning to emerge. How far that goes, we have to see. But one grouped around the US, another grouped around China. And if you take, for example, the position that exists at this particular stage, there's all sorts of developments taking place in Asia as China is trying to assert itself and group a group of allies around it. Many of them are being bought on the basis of China and they're giving them substantial loans, other investments which they're undertaking as well. But there's two blocks beginning to emerge. Now, how far that goes, we have to see, but it is a point. And divisions can open up. You see, there's further contradictions. Trump has adopted the attitude assuming Europe would just follow his lead and move into collision with China, but it's more complicated. If you take German capitalism, for example, Volkswagen are exporting 4.2 million cars in 2017 to China. Now, that's a market they don't want to lose. <laughs> and in that situation, you have it reflected in terms of some clashes which have already opened up between Trump and Merkel in Germany. And it's going to be a very uneven process, but one in which we'll see the developments of further conflicts and fragmentation of old alliances uh, taking place. So when the capitalist economy globally is in an upswing, as you put it, when the pie is getting bigger, when profits are increasing on a grand scale, it's possible for the different capitalist economies, which are fundamentally competing with each other, to have a bit more integration, to get on together nicely. And now that the pie is shrinking, they're at each other's throats to make sure that they can each get a bigger share of a shrinking amount. Is that fair to say? That sums it up quite clearly. In reality, what you're having is a struggle between the different capitalist powers for the markets. And it's a shrinking market, which is in existence in the global economy. Now, this process is going to develop a lot further because of how deep the recession is likely to be as a result of the COVID crisis, which they're not going to be able to recover from, despite what some of them are claiming at the present time. So it is going to increase national antagonisms to a big extent in all arenas. And you see that's very graphically reflected in what has taken place with the struggle between the US and China. We have the 
threats taking place militarily in the South China Sea, mm. the bellicose response of China in relation to Taiwan, the clash with India over the Himalayas. You've seen mm. other examples of it, the increased tensions once again between North and South Korea, the intervention of Turkey into Iraq to deal with the Kurdish groups as they were seen. All of this is a reflection of a sort of process of deglobalization and the assertion of national frictions and conflicts between the different capitalist countries. So given that this process seems to be going into reverse, I think people are going to want to know how far can it go? Because if you look, for example, at very early periods of capitalism, go back a couple of hundred years or so, and the mercantilist period, for example, you had massive trade barriers between different countries, really extortionate tariffs and real difficulty in any kind of integration of a world market. I mean, is that kind of thing possible? What's going to happen here? I mean, we have to be a little bit traditional in terms of we don't have a crystal ball to look into the future to see exactly how far it's go, but it's going to dramatically increase. And the deglobalization, the uncoupling, which is taking place between the US and China at this stage, is happening. You have a full-blown trade war taking place. You have a technology war taking place. You have a financial collision taking place. Data and investment between US and China and more. And it's just staggering how it has accelerated so rapidly. And you can and will probably see the emergence of whole new tariffs, as you already have. Tariffs imposed on Chinese goods by the US has increased 93% in a you know a relatively short period of time. Now, in Europe, it could also have other consequences. You have a clash has opened up during the COVID crisis between, in essence, North and South, Southern Europe, mm. between Spain, Italy in particular, and the richer north of Germany, etc., that's going to intensify. And with the crisis that's taking place in Italy, the globalisation which assisted the introduction of the euro, the euro itself could break up and we could not discount the possibility or the probability at least of some sort of reconfiguration taking place of the European Union as it's currently constituted. So it has repercussions everywhere. In Asia, you see India trying to assert its position, China obviously doing the same there, And we see it globally reflected, and it could go a long way. And you will see the introduction, in all probability, in most areas of some sort of tariff restrictions and a tariff war taking place on quite a dramatic scale. Now, one of the things which Marxists say about capitalism, which is a deeply contradictory system based on constant internal conflict, is that it's not possible for it to ever complete any of these processes. So... What are going to be the consequences of all these terrifying new developments? Well, that's an important point, James, because while the process of deglobalization is taking place and it will go quite a long way, it doesn't mean to say necessarily that's the end of it. Each national capitalist class is not just going to withdraw behind its own national barriers completely. There's bound to be some elements of the global economy that are still there. How far it goes, we will have to see. What it is posing, though, is it's going to have disastrous consequences as far as the living standards of the mass of the working class is concerned. In the neo-colonial world, it's a horrific situation which is taking place. And it probably will mean, in terms of the global situation, all sorts of realignments are in the process of taking place and there'll be a struggle for influence. And you could see, while it's unlikely because of the existence of nuclear weapons, a full-blown military conflict between China and the US is extremely unlikely, if not ruled out, because what it would mean is a destruction of the whole of the capitalist society, which <laughs> even the capitalist don'ts want at this particular stage, at least yeah. anyway. But that does not mean to say you can't have regional conflicts taking place, as you will do, 
And as you see, and probably proxy wars by the allies of China or America undertaking skirmishes, interventions, and it will result in regional wars. And one of the issues that will arise from this is the horrific situation in the neocolonial world, which is taking place, with the onset of famine, the issue of water supply is going to be a crucial question, and you can have water wars developing. And you can imagine China and Russia will use their position to try and buy support to extend their influence in different areas of the world where that horrific situation develops. So during the period of relative prosperity for global capitalism, which has now come to an end, during that period of globalisation, there were wars, there were conflicts, there was massive amounts of death and famine, there was the social murder on a global scale of workers and the poor kept in appalling conditions by the system. Now, in the period of deglobalization, it sounds like that is going to go into a kind of overdrive. So young people and workers looking at these two periods of capitalism, I think they're going to be asking, well, if integrating the global economy had these horrible effects and tearing that integration apart had horrible effects, what's the alternative? Well, that's a crucial question, because out of this, you're going to have all sorts of social upheavals and social movements, as we've already begun to see, of the mass protests which have taken place in the United States, protests that have taken here in the UK, the strikes which are currently being called in Bolivia, the uprisings in Ecuador. All of that is a point of the continuation of the movement in Lebanon, even during the pandemic itself. All of that is a pointer as to what is coming. So people are searching for an alternative. Now, when we've analysed this process of deglobalisation and globalisation, we do it from the point of view of Marxism. We do it from the point of view of the interests of the working class and the poor throughout the world. And the central point is, is that with globalisation or without globalisation, Capitalism's not been able to resolve any of the fundamental problems facing humankind, but it is intensifying and it's going to get worse. And as was pointed out on our CWI weekly live show this week, where we discussed the issue in India, we had the amazing figure given 300,000 children are going to die in the next few months of starvation because of the poverty which is taking place there. That's the world this system is taking us into. Now, we argue from an internationalist point of view We are not opposed to the genuine integration of the economy and it's being planned on a global scale with the development of new technology, of transportation, all of the incredible division of labour which has taken place in the global economy itself. It would be better and if there was an integration of the economy on a democratic and planned basis where we could use the whole of the world's resources to be planned to fulfil and meet the needs of the mass of the population of this planet. But that is not possible under capitalism. It requires a planning of the economy, the utilisation of resources in a structured, sane manner, which means a socialist transformation of society. And on that basis, you would have an entirely different process of globalisation, which would be democratic. It would be done on the basis of providing for the needs of the mass of the population internationally and globally, and would have entirely different consequences. It would open up a whole new chapter in the history of humankind, to be able to use the tremendous technology, science and resources which are now available on a generalised scale to assist the mass of the world's population. So rather than the current situation of private ownership of all the serious ways of making new wealth in society, which leads to those different private owners competing in order to enrich themselves, and so whether they're trying to integrate the global economy or tear it apart, they do it at the expense of the rest of us, we would say public ownership is necessary. And on that basis, the working class and the poor around the world would be able to 
develop this global economic plan to provide for everyone. Exactly. You cannot do it on the basis of the private ownership of the means of production because that is a system which produces for profit. To produce for profit, it requires the exploitation of the vast majority of humankind at this particular stage. And we would do it on an entirely different basis. It would be nationalisation of the major companies, not the little independent distributors or little shopkeepers. I mean, we have nothing against them. But the major corporations which control this planet, and there's very few of them in reality. The ruling class, the real ruling class, is very tiny in numbers in terms of its position globally. We would stand for the nationalisation of their industries, or the finance sector, and an integration and democratic planning of it on a worldwide scale. And with the new technology which is available, the flourishing of democracy will be unprecedented and it would allow for a genuine participation at all levels of society on a global basis. Now, if you like what you hear, recommend us to your co-workers and friends, make a donation to help fund us, and if you agree, join the socialists. Thank you very much, Tony. Thank you. Socialism is produced by the Socialist Party, the England and Wales section of the Committee for a Workers' International. Today we heard from Tony Somwa, speaking to James Ivans, and I'm Ian Patterson. This episode was edited by Nick Hart. You can find further reading in the notes in your podcast app and at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash podcast. If you want to get in touch, email socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk. Do you agree with the policies and actions the Socialist Party is fighting for? We need you. Send us your details at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash join. If you live outside England and Wales and want to join the fight for socialism in your country, contact the Committee for Workers International by visiting socialistworld.net. Socialism the podcast has no wealthy backers. We rely only on funding from the working class, which maintains our political independence. So help us take the fight to big business. You can make a regular donation or a one-off payment at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash donate. Till next time, solidarity. <laughs>